It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about back after the new year. A couple of weeks vacation, fun sun, little floating around on a boat in the Atlantic Ocean. Almost got to the Pacific as we went almost through the Panama Canal. What an incredible adventure uh, we, the Smith family, had over this holiday. And and to conclude what was a, a life, a lifelong dream, a, a, a goal of the family to, to do this trip, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I con- contracted COVID on the way back. <laughs> So absolute high and start off the year uh, with a little little COVID. So uh, excuse the voice, excuse the nasally, uh, the voice, because wow, it is kicking my behind. COVID still no joke. And and look, we, we tried to be like, like everybody else. You try to be cautious. You try to do your distancing. You try to wash your hands as much as, and still probably somewhere around Columbia, uh, we ended up getting, uh, I think that's where I picked it up, to be honest. Uh, so over the next couple of days, sure, I'm going to, I hope, hopefully we'll get better. But uh, yeah, that was, that was my holiday. Had a wonderful Christmas. Hope everyone had a wonderful holiday as we, you know, take a little time to, to re-engage with our families, to, you know, re- reunite, to, to re-energize and then to refocus. And our refocusing for the new year is going to be uh, 100% on doing the best hour we can do uh, and, and making sure that, that working class voters get the best information and, and the best thoughts possible. And, you know, today, you know, on the program, we talk a little bit about manufacturing. Uh, because understand, when we were in these other countries and we were talking to locals, because I didn't do a lot of the excursions that the, the, the crews had, we went and got a cab and said, hey, take us where people live. Show us how students go to school. Show us how you go to a local market and what what things are like for people who live here. And you go to these countries that are developing and you see real desperation. You see poverty. You see struggle. And and you see a gratitude, oddly enough, to the U.S. for the things that they do. And this is why I got to tell you, I I like traveling because you get different perspectives uh, from different people when, when people put their guards down. We were in Costa Rica, and the guy who, who gave us the, the gave us our tour, great guy, brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, I could spend hours just listening to him talk about his country uh, because the pride that he had for his country and the things that they do and the things that their, their government's doing and the fact that they get, and he, he referenced this numerous times throughout the, the, four, the four or five hours we were with him, the fact that they get education for free as far as they can, they can go. As far as their talents, their passions, their capabilities will take them, they it's paid for. And they were very proud. He was very proud of that. And it, it, as I was thinking about it, I'm going, you know, we've got, you know, free public education up to 12th grade for the most part. And you've got people who want to destroy that in this country. We used to have the ability to go on as far as your talents could take you. And we allowed the moneyed interests to destroy that under the guise of, you need to have skin in the game. And I listened to this guy talk about, with great passion, the fact that that they give everybody in their country, they don't spend money on military, they spend it on education, to have the best educated, best well-informed uh, you know, citizenry possibly. And, and he even talked about immigration, because every country's got someone who unfortunately is below them, 
And he said, look, you know, in Nicaragua, they've, which is just on the, just across the border, you know, you've got desperate people who are coming here to work in the banana fields. And, you know, the, the Costa Ricans don't want to do that work anymore because it's, it's hard work and it doesn't pay well at all. But the, the Nicaraguans want those jobs. So they imported like 30,000, I think he said, people and said, hey, you know, come here, pick, pick the bananas. Your kids are going to get a free education. And the way he made it sound is that this was this was OK. Can you imagine if you were to suggest that here in this country, we're going to go get 30,000 Mexicans or 30,000 Costa Ricans or 30,000, you know, doesn't name the, the nationality. And we're going to bring them here. Uh, we're going to have them do a job and their kids are going to get a free education and health. Can you imagine? And I just, my mind just kept spinning in that space of this idea that you have these poor people and in all these countries you went to, we went to, you had, you know, people who were desperate. They were struggling. But the sense of community that you felt from them, something much different than you get here in the U.S. And it, it, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I'm still processing. Now, what they also talked about is the fact that, you know, they want to compete in, in making things. They want to compete in creating jobs at home. We used to think that way. And I, I think we've got a president right now in Joe Biden who wants us to think that way, that we should be reshoring manufacturing. I've been saying all every every day since I started this program nearly 20 years ago. Uh, that domestic production for domestic consumption. We should be making what we need. And those things that we cannot make, which there isn't much, we then trade for. This idea of allowing U.S. corporations to take U.S. brands overseas to be made by, by children in, in Asian countries is ridiculous. Those kids should be going to school. They should be getting an education and building their local economy. So for me, over this, this, you know, this kind of is the official start of the 2024 election cycle. You know, we're now into 2024. We're now looking down the barrel of an election that could, quite frankly, decide what happens for the next 50 to 100 years. This is that consequential, I believe. All of the things that Biden has accomplished, uh, pulling us out of this pandemic, getting our supply chains almost back to somewhat normal, and then, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more resilient, unemployment rates low, inflation's coming down. We are going in the right direction, but the right-wing spin machine, they just want everybody with their hair on fire. So for me, this coming year, this year is going to be all about going, what kind of a country do we want in 2025? Do we want what we had, which is a dependence on China, a dependence on billionaires, a dependence on corporate America that really not good for us? Or do we want to reclaim that? Uh, I got to tell you, I'm hoping that we get some some antitrust stuff popping up over this year. It's a political year. We should be doing this stuff, even if it's just messaging. But I want to hear your thoughts. It's going to be a long, interesting year, uh, but this is going to be a big one. So I'm going to want to hear your thoughts early, often. Uh, good, bad, indifferent, something I said made you think, got under your skin, made you mad. By all means, email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. Going to take a quick break. Right back with Scott Paul from the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Stick around. You're listening to The Rick Smith Show. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. 
So I got to tell you, since, you know, following some of the news coming back online after vacation, you know, my inbox full of stories about China. Manufacturing's doing great. Manufacturing's doing horribly. Uh, Output is up. Output is down. Don't really know who to believe. Honestly, uh, this is one of those moments where you go, exactly what are we supposed to believe? Who are we supposed to believe? Uh, Because the headlines, they tell some very bizarre stories. And just story after story, up and down. It's up, it's down. Uh, This is something I think we're going to be focusing on this entire election cycle. Uh, Manufacturing policy is going to be at the the heart, center stage. And here to share some thoughts on on where we're going to go and where this is going to take us, our our resident manufacturing guru slash expert, Scott Paul. Scott is the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. AmericanManufacturing.org, their website. Scott, thanks for taking time for us. Hey, Rick. Happy New Year. It's great to be with you. I appreciate you taking time for us. Hope you had a wonderful holiday. We did in the Smith family. Hope you did, you and the Scott family did as well. Yeah, well I, well, I tell you what, we, we we kept it in America, but about as far away as you can get in Hawaii. It's uh, it, it, As I told you, it's hard to screw up a vacation there, so <laughs> I felt very blessed, very fortunate. Re- rested, recharged, ready to rock and roll in 2024. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. But this this pod, this is going to be something I'm sure you and I are going to talk about from now till Election Day. Manufacturing policy, uh, you know, the winners, the losers. Uh, are, are we on the right path? Are we on the wrong path? I know the Biden administration, uh, they're going to make a huge push at saying, look, this is this is why you reelect us. We're bringing manufacturing back. We're we're gonna make we're gonna make America great by making things in America. That's that's gonna be their pitch. But what do you make of these stories coming out of China, especially with the most recent admission by Xi Jinping, acknowledging that the country's having a tough t- a tough year. Uh, they're having yeah. a tough year with people struggling to find jobs, meet their basic needs. This is a, housing. This is a huge admission by the by the president uh, in China. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, uh, yeah, that is a pretty big admission by uh, Xi because they want to generally present happy news uh, to to the populace and to the world. Uh, and so, but I, I would say that this is not surprising uh, in that. A lot of China's growth um, and a lot of the stability that Xi has sought to bring out, uh, and obviously there's violent aspects to that too, but the nonviolent aspects are uh, are the product of, I think, what we would call like financial instruments or things that, that we would consider to be uh, problematic, you know, like a real estate bubble. For instance, uh, or you know, build you know, building a lot of a lot of uh, housing or other developments that will never be occupied uh, because they need to keep the construction industry busy. I mean, that's one example, uh, and 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 the the list goes on and on. But with respect to factories, and I think this is a big deal, Rick, is that you know you you've seen a couple of things happen over the last uh, year. You know, Chinese exports to the United States are definitely down. Um, and so there, there's some impact there. There is a, a, a generally slower growth in China than there had been. Uh, and so there's some weakness there. And then, you know, in a lot of ways, the Chinese Communist Party has run out of uh, its first bag of tricks on how to prop up the economy with the real estate bubble 
uh, and, and, and the financial sector and what have you. And so there is this acknowledgement that there, there, there could be some, some rough seas. Now, what I'm looking out for, and I, and I will say this, and, and it's first worth pointing out that even despite all of that, China is still the world's largest manufacturer by far. And so whatever happens there uh, has a big impact on the rest of the world and especially the United States because we consume a whole lot of stuff here. Um, and what has traditionally happened if there's some weakness in China is that the Chinese Communist Party will seek to export its problems. And so they'll keep the manufacturing going. They'll keep the factories going, maybe not as fast as they had, but, but they'll keep them going. And instead of selling the stuff locally, they'll dump it on the global market wherever it's able to go. And, and that has devastated the United States right. uh, in the past. That, that exacerbated uh, the Great Recession that we had, we also saw a lot of that at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, and, and so you know we we can't let that happen. And and the good news is that we do have some tools in place now, some tariffs and what have you that will make it a little more difficult to do that. But but you were right to have your eye on what's happening in China and what. Uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party does with the economy there. And also, I'll just throw one other thing into the mix. Uh, what's going to happen with respect to their reaction to the upcoming election in Taiwan, where there is definitely one candidate that is more about an independent Taiwan and another one who wants a little closer relationships with Beijing. And so there'll be a there'll be a lot going on there. And as you rightly point out, this will have a big impact on what Biden is going to be telling voters about uh, his changes and transformation to the economy to make it better, more sustainable, more resilient with with better jobs and so all of this uh is is swirling around right yeah I, I was just reading through some of their literature a little bit ago and uh they pointed out in in their in their literature that in 2023's third quarter real inflation inflation adjusted private manufacturing construction investment uh, reached the highest level on record since 1958. Uh, now, yeah. clearly, they're going to say this was because of our policies. This is because of the Inflation Reduction Act, the investments we're making in infrastructure and all of that stuff. And and quite frankly, it is it is because of that. Also, because, yeah. you know, we've said, look, we've got to get some manufacturing back. We can no yeah. longer be the consuming economy. We've got to make stuff. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It is that combination. It is the combination of the policies and the public investments that are being made. And it is like basically having, you know, three highly effective pharmaceuticals running through the manufacturing economy at the same time. The infrastructure law, the CHIPS Act for semiconductors, and also the clean energy manufacturing. So you have all of that pushing investment. At the same time, you have some, not all, but, but some corporate boards saying for the first time that they care uh, as much about resilient supply chains as they do about 
finding the lowest cost. Now, you know, there's still going to be that yeah. seeking the lowest <laughs> cost there, but they at least want to hedge their bets. Right. No, no. But here's the thing. Day. Have we not heard that before? You know, I yeah, seem to have. remember and, and I, I still remember the date. I think it was August 19th, 2019. Uh, the business roundtable came out with their their oh, their yeah, edict yeah. that they they yeah. learned they've now learned it's no longer about only shareholder value it's about uh, yeah. how did that go again it's about uh, customers uh, it's about uh, communities it's about workers yeah, yeah. it's about workers yeah. and then they had yeah. the pandemic to prove you know what they were saying and well they they went back to what they really believe so I I, I got to tell you not buying that until I see it. I look, I totally agree with you that that is a PR and marketing effort. I do think that a management best practice now for people that care about supply chains and being able to have reliability and quality and all of that, that, that some companies are making those investments in the United States again. I mean, there, there was one story that, that, that appeared over the, over the holidays about, and this is remarkable, uh, like an electronics manufacturer that makes some components for Apple and other companies that's going to move a massive amount of production out of China and India and into the United States because they can control the quality they can control the materials they don't have to worry about the shipping uh as much and and right now this is an anecdote right this is an outlier but i do hope that it becomes much more of a trend as we look yeah and they can also control their intellectual property i mean do you remember that remember for a bunch of years uh corporate america was crying about about theft of intellectual property rights and when i was telling you and you were saying the same thing there is a country that will protect your intellectual property uh right here you make it here you do it here you're going to be okay you go over there and you give them your secrets you give them your technology don't be surprised when they steal it yeah, not, not only that, and this is, boy, I'm going to get on my soapbox now, but it's like these companies, it's like in the United States, they expect intellectual property protection. They expect the rule of law. They expect an educational system that's going to churn out great graduates for them. They expect a training system. They expect a high-quality infrastructure. They expect stability, political stability, and economic stability and certainty because of the Federal Reserve and other things the United States, they expect all of us, but they have no loyalty back to the United States yep. when it comes, where do they put their jobs? And they make all of these demands of the government when they themselves are not willing to necessarily practice what they preach. Uh, some of them do, look, some of them do, but but most of them do not. And and so, but, but I do think that the reality of the pandemic, uh, the instability in China, uh, the the clarity that China is a competitor and not a collaborator um, is is causing some thinking. And so, you know, if you were to go to McKinsey or Bain or any of these other management consultancies now, um, you know, th- they they actually would say, well, you know what, there's probably a way we could make this work in the United States or close by, right? When before they would have said, you got to go to China. Uh, and so. It's a it's a little bit of a change. We got a long way to go, but the public investment's driving a big piece of this and making sure this is the thing, making sure that it's durable. The clean energy manufacturing 
incentives are durable. The semiconductor manufacturing incentives are durable are going to be very important because these are long-term investments that have to be made in the United States. And also that we're creating quality jobs. Yeah, and this is why elections have consequences. Because all of this stuff, and this is what I keep telling people, all of this stuff that Biden's done, all of these investments, all of this future thinking investments that are being made could all be undone with one presidential election. And I think that has to come out. Uh, Because look, if you want to have a manufacturing base, if you want to have that supply chain that is resilient and is domestic, um, the other guy talked about it a lot, didn't do much about it. This guy's not talking about it very much, but actually he's doing it. And I think that's the important part, getting some stuff done. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't do this. And I just, I mean, there is a perfect recipe to create good manufacturing jobs in the United States. Part of it involves an aggressive trade policy. Part of it involves that public investment, that industrial policy. Part of that involves making corporations accountable to have quality jobs that pay better wages okay so you know trump did one out of those three but that's not enough that's not necessary or sufficient you got to do all three and if you say my policy is a 10 percent across the board tariff but i'm going to get a get rid of all this other stuff that is not going to be helpful yep. not going to be helpful in any way so last line of questioning i've got for you on this and this is kind of a loaded question because I'm looking at what Xi Jinping is saying that, you know, the people in his country can't meet their basic needs. They're housing the jobs. Um, does this become a trade war in these next several months? And does this have to be a I win, you lose scenario? Uh, or do we see do we see chaos in the in the coming months to the election? I'm curious what you're what, if you look into your crystal ball, what do you see? Yeah. Man, it is, it is so hard to predict China other than the CCP will always act in the interest of self-preservation. That's the only standard. And what, what I think I have a concern about is that, again, I, I think that their, their bag of tricks, uh, you know, financial bubbles, uh, housing bubbles, th- those are kind of gone now. And so, um, you know, how do they how do they navigate through this? Uh, is, is going to be really, really challenging for the party to maintain that sense of stability and the spillover that's effect, that, that's going to have on their neighbors and going to have the United States. Uh, th- this is something that we got to keep an eye on and we have to get ahead of because we can't just let a surge of Chinese imports come back in as we're starting to rebuild manufacturing in the United States. Or let them through the back door, like right. let Chinese auto companies set up in Mexico and make their their cheap cars there. Or uh, sell everything over the these apps. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. they, they've yeah. gone, gone around right. our trade policies and they're doing direct to consumer stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, I wouldn't expect Biden to not be tough on China headed into the election. I think that's almost a, that's almost a certainty. So but it, it, it but there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of uh, touch points, uh, you know, Taiwan, the economy, all of that uh, as we look ahead as well. Right. Well, we'll see how it plays out. And I'm sure you'll be here to help us work through it. Scott Paul, I appreciate the time. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Rick. Appreciate yeah, it. Good stuff. Our good friend, Scott Paul. I want to hear your thoughts. What are you going to be looking for in the coming year? Is this going to be a central theme, something that we should be paying attention to? I want to hear it. You can email me, Rick at the Rick Smith Quick break. Right back. 
I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1946. That was the day local AFL and CIO unions in Stamford, Connecticut, joined forces to bring out 20,000 members from 30 trade unions in a massive one-day general strike to support striking machinists at Yale and Town Lock. The machinists had been out on strike since November, demanding a 30% wage increase and a union shop. The combined Stamford labor organizations had promised action if Governor Raymond Baldwin did not withdraw state police from interfering with peaceful picketing. The state police were being used to attack the picket lines, arrest strikers, and escort scabs into the plant. In a last-minute attempt to avert the general strike, Yale and town president W. Gibson Carey Jr. offered an 18% raise but refused any talk of a closed shop. So the unions went on an extended lunch hour effectively bringing the entire city to a standstill. Numerous small businesses closed their shops and joined in support. Marchers converged upon Town Hall from five directions. Their placards read, Stamford is a union town. Let's keep it and we will not yield victory. Workers represented unions like the Mine Mill, the American Federation of Musicians, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the Barbers Union, Bookbinders, Gas and Chemical, and United Steelworkers, among many others. World War II veterans carried a banner that read, We licked the Axis, and we can beat Kerry. Despite public support, pitched battles continued on the picket lines. The company would not budge until April, when they finally accepted the proposal the machinists had demanded back in January. The machinists quickly ratified the contract. They beat back a union-busting offensive and built local solidarity among unions at a time when the AFL and CIO were very much at odds. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. I gotta tell you, you know, manufacturing, that's that's gonna be the big thing. You know, and as we were talking about with Scott Paul a second ago, um, this is going to be a big issue in the in this election, and I think I think I think for Biden to do well uh, in in November, this this has to be what gets talked about. Uh, the fact that we are reshoring manufacturing, the successes, the right's going to try to say, well, see, there's another failure it's in, on the big screen, on the big uh, on in the in the big frame of things. Uh, the fact that you know, as I said, you know, since what is it, 1958, the largest investment in pri- private investment in manufacturing in this country. That is kind of a big deal, and they've got to they've got to be hammering on that. Now, of course, you know Trump and company they've got to make it a clown show. They've got to make it chaotic. Uh, they've got to make it about the distraction, not about what's actually get, not getting done, not about you know the jobs that are being created, the fact that they're doing this stuff and and mandating that things are done with project labor agreements and that that union rights are being respected, that the jobs that are being created are good family sustaining wage jobs that are going to help communities you know thrive. You know, if that doesn't get talked about, we got we got problems, and that's got to be where the focus is. You know, you go back to the Carville thing. It's the economy, stupid. It's always the economy, stupid. And hammering on the fact that jobs are being created, that we are putting people into, into good career jobs, not just McJobs, not just the Amazon kind of job where you come and you go, the turnover rate's astronomical, the injury rates are astronomical, the stress levels are through the roof. No, this is where they've this is where they've got to spend a lot of focus. Uh, this is this is for sure it. But I want to hear your thoughts. Email me Rick at the Rick Smith Show.com. For those folks uh, watching on our free speech channel, 
Uh, we're gonna we'll see you back here tomorrow night, folks listening on the radio. Gonna take a quick break. Right back after this. I made a few New Year's resolutions this week, not for me, but as self-improvement ideas for some of the people running our country. No need for them to thank me. Happy to help. I drafted one for the GOP's whole ultra-rightist gaggle of lawmakers who keep blocking passage of health coverage for poor people. Resolved, we will forego the gold-plated socialized health care we now take from taxpayers because it's only right that we be in the same leaky boat as our constituents. Then there are America's 735 narcissistic billionaires who obviously need to find a moral compass. They're so self-absorbed, they keep wasting their money and, quote, genius on phantasmagoric, plutocratic schemes to separate their fortunes from the well-being of the rest of us. Then they wonder why they're not beloved. So, rich ones, let me help. Resolve in 2024 to demonstrate a little less hubris, a little more humanity, less strut, more sharing. Practice in front of a mirror. Try seeing beyond you to the common good. It's a beautiful and deeply rewarding place if you can find it. And then here's my suggestion for the Washington operatives and big money donors of the Democratic Party. Please resolve to camp out in grassroots America this year, where everyday little-d Democrats want and need your attention and support. Not just in safe blue districts, but especially in rural, purple, and even in red areas. You party honchos have abandoned them in recent years, but they still yearn to build a progressive governing majority for America's future. This is Jim Hightower saying, Of course, the problem with New Year's resolutions is keeping them, and my honorees cannot be counted on. So, you and I have to keep pushing them to do what's right. Do what's right for you, me, and America. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. This date in 1931 was a day that helped to bring the hunger and poverty caused by the Great Depression to the attention of the nation. 500 farmers, black and white, marched on England, Arkansas to demand food for their starving families. A severe drought had destroyed crops in the region, already hit hard by the downturn in the national economy. The march became known as the England Food Riot, even though there were no actual acts of violence during the march by the farmers. Store owners in the town gave some food to the protesters, but real help came when the national media picked up the story. People across the nation read about the farmers in Arkansas and saw pictures of their hunger. They sent help. The story also caught the attention of the famous cowboy and humorist Will Rogers. Rogers had a very popular syndicated newspaper column. He used his column to bring attention to what was happening in Arkansas. Rogers wrote, You let this country get hungry, and they are going to eat. No matter what happens to budgets, income taxes, or Wall Street values, Washington mustn't forget who rules when it comes to a showdown. Rogers also went on tour to raise funds for drought relief for farmers in the region. One person who was not swayed by the pictures of hungry farmers and their families was United States President Herbert Hoover. President Hoover refused to have the federal government lend aid to the farmers. 
His refusal to mobilize federal resources to combat the Great Depression helped Franklin Delano Roosevelt win election the following year. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You're listening to The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. So here in the new year... Uh, which side have we chosen? Because evidently, red hat, blue hat is what is uh, is the world we live in. And as I keep saying, you know, I want to live in a world where it's not only red hat, blue hat. Uh, I want to live in a world where getting things done matters. I, I want to live in the hard hat world. But 
you know, which direction for the new year are you taking? Cheery optimism, you know, things are, are on the right track. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're riding the ship. Uh, things are going to, tomorrow is going to be a better day, which is what the Biden camp is, is, is putting out there going, Hey, we came out of a, a horrible pandemic. We came out of, you know, an economy that was struggling, you know, massive. There was a lot of unemployment. There was a lot of supply chain issues. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff that we're now finally working our way through. Uh, there are better days ahead. Or are you going to go on the Trump side of things on the, the right wing side? Everything's terrible. Everything's horrible. The sky is falling. Biden did it all. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, while we were on our vacation, ran into some Canadian folks uh, who are the Canadian version of MAGA. Um, you know, while here in the U.S., we are a little coarser than our friends to the great white north. Uh, well, they'll just have the F. Biden shirt on. Uh, there they had, uh, you know, the a guy on the ship had a truck off Trudeau shirt, uh, which, you know, I thought was a little, a little nicer. But the same rhetoric. And this is the interesting part of where we're at. The, 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 the alternative facts, the alternative views, the, the world, all in the same line. The exact same rhetoric I get from my MAGA friends. You know, Biden causes all the inflation. Trudeau caused all the inflation. They're censoring us. You know, they're, they're censoring us. You know, go down the list of all the things. They're taking our freedoms. They're destroying the press. You know, all of this stuff that, that again, they're in line with. They they get their they get their news and media from the same source, so it's not surprising. And this is where the right beats the left every time because they understand flooding the zone, they understand throwing out a bunch of propaganda, a bunch of BS, and and then you know the average citizen is stuck trying to discern between crazy and crazier. And you know, for me, I, I'm looking at you know where we're at and where we've come from and gone. No, I think this administration has done some pretty good things, has done some pretty smart things in moving us in a better direction away from neoliberalism towards reshoring manufacturing, investing in infrastructure, doing the right things that Trump himself said he would do, but didn't. So in this year, are, are you the, are, which, what's camp are you, are you in? Or as my friend said, I, I want to be in the, in the sunny optimism, but everything's pulling me the other way. It's going to be interesting to see where it's going. Uh, I did see, I did see a story that nationally gas is under three bucks a gallon. Will that, will Biden get credit for that? Probably not. Uh, no, there, there has been a, uh, a truce, a coming together, a surrender, if you will. Uh, the folks at the, the corporate, Club for Growth. You may remember Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey was the head of the Club for Growth for a while. Uh, they haven't been the, the biggest Trump supporters. Uh, evidently, uh, they had underwritten ads attacking Trump. And evidently now there has been a truce that's been brokered. I'm not 100% sure, but this is what's being reported, that there's a truce between the Club for Growth and with Trump, and that the Club for Growth will no longer attack him. Uh, they're going to hold their water, and there may even be, you know, they may even support him. And you go, why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because the moneyed interests are finally realizing Trump's the guy. He's the, the, They're finally realizing what I said from the beginning. He's going to be the nominee. They're not going to stop him because his the base that he has, the angry 
the angry base that he has that's been screwed for decades because of conservative policies, mind you, because of neoliberal policies, because of supply-side voodoo Reaganomics and, and you know business-friendly policies, they've gotten screwed over. They're in the Trump camp because, well, he, he talks like us. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't lie. He, he, when he cheats, he tells us. And now you're seeing the rest of the establishment. Steve Scalise, the House Majority Leader, has come out and announced he's proudly endorsing Trump. The Senate, a lot of senators in the, on the GOP side, they're falling in line uh, behind Trump because they, they get it. They know there's, there's, there's nobody else on that, on that dais. Nobody else on the debate stage that's going to, that's going to beat Trump. Which is why Fox News, and this is this is when you know it's over, Fox News is going to be airing a town hall event with Trump on the same night that the that the GOP uh, is having their their debate over on CNN. Now you may go, well, you know, um, it could be just that you know, they're they're competing against CNN. No, 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 that's not what it is. Um, it's it's that they figured out it, it's 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 not going to happen. Uh, he snubbed them in the biggest way by not coming to their debates. He has snubbed them in, in huge public ways, and they have acquiesced. And this is kind of a moment where you go, okay, he's the guy. Now what? Well, what is now is understanding that we're in a much worse position today uh, than we've been in a very long time. I mean... You know, you go back and you think that the end of the Trump era and you go, oh, it was a constitutional crisis, you know, that, you know, the January 6th, the insurrection, all this stuff. Understand, the right has already spun January 6th. You know, right after January 6th happened, what was it, like 27, 28% of Republicans believed it was an insurrection? Now, after a bit of time and a lot of repetition from the right, that number's down to like 14% of Republicans believe that it was an actual insurrection, that something bad happened that day. It's because the right-wing spin machine is so powerful, so well-funded, and and spins a good yarn. Um, you know they can they can lie like anybody else, but better and well-funded with graphics. And I'm looking at where we are, and I'm I'm concerned that we're worse off than we were three years ago, because we've begun to normalize some of the destruction. We've begun to normalize some of the tearing down of what what were the 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 institutions of our democracy. You know, the idea that the ballot box, you know, the sanctity of the ballot box, that we can overturn that, that the House of Representatives can decide that, hey, maybe we don't like that. Maybe we don't like that 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 decision. Is, is quite, amu- quite, not amusing, but quite frightening. Uh, the fact that you now have a, a number of states going, we're going to hold Trump off the ballot, which I think... When, when the first one came out, I said, it's a bad idea. Because you're not going to be a whole level holding off the ballot in, in, in many places. And all you're going to do is you're going to make him look like a victim. And you're clearly not going to pull the trigger across the country and do this to keep him off the ballot. I, who knows what the Supreme Court does. But this, again, makes him look like the martyr. And that, again, gets him sympathy because it's easy to forget what happened three years ago. It's easy to forget the the, the whor- four years of horror that was the Trump administration. 
It's easy to forget how bad the policies were that came out, especially for working people. It's easy to forget because we're, we're beyond it now. It's easy to forget that the pandemic hit during his tenure. The, the shutdowns happened under his watch. A lot of the horrible stuff that people are going, oh, Joe, but no, no, it wasn't Biden. It was Trump's administration. And, and we hear this, you know, this, this rewriting of reality, which is why I go back to, you know, one of the most genius phrases ever put forth was by Kellyanne Conway, this, this alternative facts thing, because we can have our own reality. We can have our own facts, our own reality, our own truth. And everything else that is reality, be damned, because I believe. And this is where, you know, I'm I'm concerned about the future of our country. Now, I th- I've said from the beginning, and I haven't wavered off of this, Trump has to be beaten at the polls. And I think the only person who can beat Trump is Biden. Um, now, my concern has always been, and I've said this before and I've taken heat for it, that I think Trump is the only person Biden can beat. Uh, I think if he had to go through a rigorous debate, uh, if he had to go through a, a campaign where he's on the trail, uh, I think he would struggle. I think he he doesn't communicate as well as he, he should be able to, uh, and, and as people expect. And this is where we are. But understand, for me, it's the policies. It's the direction, the vision of where, where he's moving us that I think is so very important. And over the next several months, what we're going to have to be talking about is, you know, what kind of a future do we want? Because Trump has already told us what, is, what his administration is going to be. He's already told us. It's going to all be about patronage. It's all going to be about loyalty. It's all going to be about retribution. It's going to be about going after those people who disagreed with him, going after those people who said anything. The guy's got thin skin. Understand. The guy's got thin skin. Anybody who said anything about him, uh, there, there will be consequences, and and we've never really had that before. We've never had that kind of administration. He's already said, you know, federal workers, we're going to be firing people like crazy because he can. Schedule F. They've already said their 2025 plan. It's all about getting the most loyal of the most loyal. Not people who know what they're doing. And again, this is another one of those moments where you go, in the past, you you, you brought in loyalists, but at least people who are qualified. They're talking about bringing in loyalists who don't even know where the office is. Let alone what they do in the office. That's the concern that I have, is that you're going to get a bunch of yes people, a bunch of loyalists, and a bunch of people who will not question outrageous orders. That should be concerning to every citizen. And at a time where, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but competition globally is is ramping up. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've got some real problems here at home that need to be addressed. I'm uh, I'm not so sure that that we end up with the right guy in November. And this is where Democrats have to get on their messaging machine and they've got to talk about what they've done, the investments that they've made, the jobs that they've created, and the vision for a future that makes sure that that working people get a fair shot. 
Because we're in this situation, quite frankly, and I've been saying this for years, we're in this situation right now because working people have had enough. They've had enough of doing all the work and getting very little reward. They've had enough of sacrificing and struggling and being dedicated and loyal only to find themselves on the outside when they need. And this is one of these moments where uh, Democrats have got, got to step forward and say, these are our values. This is who we are. This is what we've done. And this is where we want to go. Now, understand, Republicans don't have a platform. There's nothing there. There's nothing there that they talk about on how they're going to make the average working person's lives better. There's nothing. And what's interesting to me is I was, I was just reading a story uh, earlier today about retirement. And, you know, it was, uh, I think it was a Forbes story that was talking about, uh, I think it was an NBC News story, actually. Uh, they were talking about the wealth transfer from baby boomers to Gen X and millennials and Gen Z and and how the the, the amount is, is staggering. I think they said it was something like $53 trillion in, in assets that, that could be passed down from the boomer generation uh, who lived through the, the, the best times this country has had ever seen down to their down to their children and grandchildren. And they said, look, you know, the, this 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 could happen. But the sad reality is, is probably not. This generational wealth transfer is probably not going to be as, as big as everyone expects. It's probably going to get chewed up mostly by health care costs and long-term health care costs. And they were going through saying, look, you know, Gen X basically got screwed out of defined benefit pensions. So there's nothing there retirement-wise for them. They didn't get on the retirement savings bandwagon fast enough because, you know, for whatever reason, they, you know, they, they lost one job after another and, 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 you know, didn't have the, the same, the same savings. Whereas the boomer generation had defined pension and savings. The millennials, they're kind of screwed because they didn't get the jobs that would have afforded for, for a defined benefit pension because they were all gone or the jobs that had enough wealth to be able to put enough money away uh, for retirement. So we're looking at a retirement tsunami at some point of people who don't have resources to retire. And, you know, they were saying, you know, in order to, I, I think what they, what they were, what they're talking about the, the retirement number to retire at like 65, you need like a million dollars in, in assets. And, you know, the number of people like that is, you know, a small number of working people. And, you know, the thought was, is as boomers retire, they're going to, you know, as they expire and move on, that they would share that and it would trickle down. doesn't look like it's going to happen. Where it's going to end up? Corporate America's pockets. Because they were saying the numbers to live in, I think it was like uh, to live in an assisted living facility, the minimum was like 53 grand a year. And that's just an assisted living thing. Uh, you know, they said, you know, a single person living in a, uh, in a in a in a in a in a, um, a retirement home, uh, you know, like 150 grand a year, and you go, who can afford that? Even if you had a million dollars in assets, how long would it take before that got chewed up? How long would it take uh, for for all of your wealth just to get eaten up by by healthcare costs, by the 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 cost of uh, supplemental insurance, by the cost of all of this stuff? 
and Medicare is, is slowly being whittled away and you're getting, you know, you've got a Republican Party hell bent on destroying it. So you go, you know, when do we when do we start talking about actual policy to make people's lives better? And for me, that's what these elections should be about. Not about the hats, not red hat, blue hat, not who which team wins, but which policies win, which directions. And I know this is this is really this is really, you know, high-minded thinking that we can as a society think this way. But who's going to make lives better? Who's going to make your life better? Not who's going to destroy that guy's life over there, but who's going to make your life better? That that comes back down to the question of, you know, the Reagan question, which if I'm going to bring up Reagan, you know, he's the reason we're, we're where we're at. Reaganomics is the reason that we're in the situation we're in. Going after breaking up unions, destroying a tax code that encouraged work over wealth, you know, doing the things that they did. Uh, to, to, to swing the pendulum to the very wealthy away from working people and especially the poor. You know, someone sent me a graph uh, that I, I thought was interesting. And it was an old one, uh, but it was still one of those things where you go, wow, that's, that's, that's impressive, uh, the kind of wealth distribution that happened. And it pointed out that back in you know, 1980 when Reagan you know, won the election, um, you know, the distribution of wealth was, you know, the poor and the working class, you know, held a certain percentage, um, you know, almost double what it is today. And, you know, everyone along the path, no matter where you were, were better off in 1980 than, than you are today. So when Reagan asked the question, are you better off, you know, today than you were four years ago? Um, the question should then be, are you better off today than you were in 1980? And families back in 1980 were, were better off. They had better incomes. They had better health security. They had better retirement security. They were working families were better off. You know who wasn't better off? The top 1%. Because the top 1% back then only held, you know, a small percentage of the overall wealth. It was still substantial, but it isn't where we are today. Which, you know... What 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 did I see? The Walton family. I, I I think it was the I think it was the top four. The top four billionaires hold more wealth than the than than the entire uh, African American community. Uh, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with the distribution of wealth in this country and how it's been used. And the fact that over this period of time, the the income growth at the at the top continues to grow at incredible skyrocketing rates. Whereas working people, not so much. This is why it's so important to see these union organizing campaigns, which is so important to see these these workers saying enough is enough already. You know, I I tell you, it, it shouldn't be this difficult to join and form unions and to fight for those better wages, hours, and conditions. And 2024 is going to be an interesting year uh, on, on, on that front. Uh, we'll see. I want to hear your thoughts, though. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. Going to take a quick break. Right back. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. 
On this day in labor history, the year was 1917. That was the day the trial against labor leader Tom Mooney began. Mooney stood accused of detonating a bomb at the Preparedness Day Parade in San Francisco on July 22, 1916. The military parade was meant to demonstrate U.S. preparedness to enter World War I. Many labor leaders objected to the idea of the United States becoming involved in the war. The bomb in San Francisco killed 10 spectators and injured 40 others. District Attorney Charles Fickert soon charged Mooney, his wife Rena, and his assistant Warren Billing with the crime. Mooney, born in Chicago, was the son of a coal miner. He became an iron molder at the age of 14, where he joined the union. Known for his socialist politics, Mooney was involved in a long, bitter strike against the Pacific Gas and Electric Company in 1913 that spanned well into 1914. He was accused of trying to use dynamite during that strike, but was acquitted. After the explosion at the San Francisco parade, Martin Swanson, a private detective with the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, pointed the district attorney toward Mooney. There was no evidence tying Billings or Mooney to the explosion. During the trial, some who testified against Mooney even admitted to committing perjury on the stand. Despite all of this, the men were convicted. Billings received life in prison, while Mooney was sentenced to hang. The trial garnered international outrage. President Woodrow Wilson set up a commission to study the case. Mooney's sentence was commuted to life in prison. For two decades, a fight was waged to release Mooney. Finally, the evidence of false testimony piled so high it could not be ignored. And in 1939, Billings and Mooney were released from prison. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Thanks for tuning in to The Rick Smith Show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Rick Smith Show. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find all that and much more at thericksmithshow.com. Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Check out our website, thericksmithshow.com. Questions, comments, something on your mind, email me, rick, at thericksmithshow.com. So Republicans have spent $100 million dollars in Iowa, according to NBC News, uh, $100 million, $100 million in Iowa. I got to think we're $100 million. You could probably carpet the whole state of Iowa. And it just shows how, how, how poorly we use resources in this country. And, and understand, the Republican, the Republican nominee was wrapped up months ago. It was never not going to be Trump. Um. Because the, the moneyed interests, truly, they know what they're going to get out of Trump. They're going to get tax cuts. They're going to get deregulation. They're going to get what they need. They're going to get business friendly. They're going to get labor crushed. Um, trust me, Trump is no friend of labor. All of these strikes that are going on, all of the, trust me, mark this down. You will see if Trump becomes president. You will see them use the National Guard military uh, to, to, to police strikes. You will see this. 
This isn't a wild, crazy, this isn't a wild, crazy prediction. It's something we're going to see. And as working people, do you really want to have that kind of a strong arm authoritarian? Corporate America wants it. Oh boy, do they want to put those workers back in their place. But do working people want that kind of, of heavy handedness? And the answer is no. No, we shouldn't want that at all. Not even a little bit. But yet here we are. Here we are in this moment of um, chaos. Potential chaos. Uh, Elon Musk, talking about money to interest. Uh, evidently, uh, according to Axios, uh, when Musk bought Twitter, from that moment till now, uh, Twitter has lost 71.5% of its value. And I said, I said at the at the onset, it was never going to be about, it was never about making money. It was never about anything more than, than tearing into and destroying Twitter. It was never anything but that. That was always going to be the plan. Destroy Twitter. Because it was, it was one of the, the, the thought spaces of the left. Uh, now, you could argue, well, there was a bunch of loonies and a bunch of crazies. And there was, you know, you can argue whatever you want. His, his stated goal was to destroy that. And, and I love the argument. That it was about free speech. Uh, and then what about charging people for, for sp- free speech? Uh, so for me, it was never about money. And I don't even think it was his money, to be honest. Uh, but now that you have more advertisers going away after he told them to go blank themselves... Uh, which, again, tells you he, he doesn't care about the money or it was about destroying that one messaging vehicle that the left kind of had a bit of a bit of footing in. And this is what the right, again, does masterfully. Anytime there's a space uh, where the left does OK, uh, it must it must without question, it must be destroyed. Uh, and this is one of those this is one of those moments. So we will see. Uh, anyway, if you miss any today's program, make sure you grab the podcast. Uh, always there, always available. Find that at thericksmithshow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, email, email me, rick at thericksmithshow.com. I do answer all emails personally. We are back from vacation, and what a fabulous vacation it was over the holidays. Hope yours was well. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, tell me how your your holidays went and what what you're looking forward to in the new year. Uh, which side are you on? Things are going to be better. Things are worse. Email me, rick at thericksmithshow.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email rick, Email rick. at rick at thericksmithshow.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. Thanks for tuning in to The Rick Smith Show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Rick Smith Show. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find all that and much more at thericksmithshow.com.